Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we thank you that we get to come and we get to read your word. We get to come together and receive from you. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would take the word of God and imprint it on our heart. Lord, we pray that you would put the commands of God on our heart and that, Lord, that we would have this word inside of us and at the forefront of our lives so that we may live lives pleasing unto you and lives that is a light unto the world. So Jesus, we just pray that you would come and reveal yourself during this time through your Holy Spirit. And it's that name that we pray. Amen. All right. Verse one says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph, uh, Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother and the rest will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. 
Now we must give an, uh, give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He said Simon, uh, he had Simon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and give them provisions for their journey after this was done for them. They loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, let me just find a place. they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take the food for your starving household and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sacks was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So that's Genesis 42. Uh, I want to share. <laughs> I love the parties. <laughs> uh, I want to share just a little bit of backstory about Joseph's life. Uh, a lot of ministers kind of break his, I don't want to say his story, but like, you know, his life with God into three stages. And you can see it over the course of the soaping that we've been doing. Uh, we call it the promise, the pit, and the palace. So the promise dates back to when Joseph first received a dream from God, where he was saying, your family will bow down to you. Like, remember, like the grains were bowing down and the stars were bowing down. And Back then, the Lord was speaking destiny or purpose into Joseph when he was just a child. It was the promise he received from God. Then he went from the promise to another step in life because Joseph was young. He was ambitious, ambitious and eager. And he went and shared that promise with his family. And his family kind of looked at him like, do you mean we are going to bow down to you? And from a uh, potentially sharing a promise a little too early, it landed him inside of the pit at the hands of his family. And he went from into the next stage of his life, which was the pit, the cistern, where he was sold into slavery. If you kind of remember, he went through Potiphar's house. He landed himself, I shouldn't say land himself, but, you know, he found himself back in jail. And from there, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And that landed him back inside of the palace where he uh, 
interpreted the dream and had foresight that there was going to be a famine coming to the land and he had wisdom from God on how to handle that situation that was coming. So that's where and entered in, him into the third stage of his life from the promise, the pit and the palace. We just like summarized Joseph's life in three words in 30 seconds. <laughs> the promise, the pit and the palace. Now, one thing I just kind of want to mark uh, as we get into this, uh, we all go through stages in our life of promise, pit, and palace. Um, you know, I can mark very clearly the moments when God spoke promise over my life and said, hey, Harry, because he doesn't call me pastor, he just calls me by my first name. <laughs> hey, Harry, you know, this is what I have for your life. This is what I want you to do. You know, we're talking youth and young adults. We're talking about being a husband. We're talking about being, uh, you know, a cousin, a family member, a friend. This is the promise over your life. But sometimes, I should say sometimes, many times we have to go through a pit in order to have promise realized. You know, something that God isn't obligated to fulfill is the potential over our life. You know, it's not what are we capable of doing that he fulfills. What he fulfills is promise. And as long as we put him first, his responsibility to us is to fulfill promise, while our responsibility to him is to obey what he's told us to do and not try and make promise happen. And that's what takes us into the palace. But the thing about palaces, and this is kind of like the thing I want to note as we uh, unpack the uh, observations and uh, applications from this chapter, the one thing to note about palaces, uh, just because you make it to the palace, that doesn't mean it's paradise. You know, so many times we kind of live with this uh, grass is always greener on the other side mindset. And, uh, you know, sometimes the grass is greener because there's a septic tank underneath the grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, we kind of have this mindset of it's going to be great when I get there. The palace is going to be awesome. I just went through the pit. But the reality is the palace is still filled with tests. Uh, the good season is still filled with tests. And right here in this chapter, we're seeing God test Joseph through his family members encountering him again. And that's the beauty about the palace because the tests reveal the heart that has been developed over the course of the pit and the promise. So the first observation application I want to take a look at is in verse one. It's so simple and it's so to the point, but I love this. I'm a really practical guy. So, so just this is so like plain. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I like the plainness of what Jacob brought to the table right there. You know, they're in the middle of a famine. And I don't know about all y'all, but I like to eat. So famine is a rough idea to just get on, get on board with. <laughs> and right here, Jacob is looking at his sons saying, hey, guys, uh, we need food. And you're just kind of looking at each other. Can we get something done here? And can we figure this out? And what I want to kind of note is, um, you know, these guys, the ones that Jacob is speaking to were the ones that were guilty of selling their brother into slavery. They were the ones that you could say, technically saying, um, uh, had blood on their hands from selling Joseph off <laughs> into Never Never Land, you know, for them, hopefully never to be seen again, and then convincing their father that he was dead. And they they had this guiltiness upon them. And when they were in front of Jacob, Jacob was like, hey, guys, uh, we need a solution here. Like, we have a problem. We need food. We have to eat. 
and I'm expecting you guys to handle this. And the uh, one thing is, I want to ask you a question. What do problems drive you towards? Because they had a problem, famine. They had a problem. They needed food. The problem that they were facing uh, drove Jacob to an answer. How are we going to get food? You know, not everyone thinks with a mindset of we have an issue in front of us. We need a solution. But the church, the body of Christ are supposed to be solution carriers. And I want to like deposit this into our mindsets this morning of you have the solution to the problems in the world inside of you. You have the solutions to the problems of the world sitting inside of you. You'll notice Jacob, the one that didn't have the blood of Joseph on his hands, was the one that brought up, hey, guys, what are we going to do about this? Don't just stand around because in verse two, he continues, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some food for us that we may live and not die. Many times the solution that God wants to bring to the table for people isn't super spiritual. It's not, uh, you know, it, and listen, I'm all for like, you know, let's have God encounter people's spirits. But many times the solution is practical. It's very easy. It's to the point, you know, it's not uh, like at, out in Neverland. It's just so in front of us. And sometimes like, you know, us as like the church, we are a spiritual people and a spiritual organization. Sometimes we think like, okay, we, we want to uh, have a spiritual answer. Jacob was bringing a practical answer in front of them. And it was, hey, guys, we need food. So what problem is in front of you? What problem is uh, uh, sitting, you know, in the group of your friends, in the group of your family, inside of your workplace that God wants to bring a practical answer to? And the solution is sitting inside of you. Uh, we had a situation this past weekend, I'll share with you. We had a, my wife was the matron of honor inside of a wedding on Indianapolis. Took a wonderful road trip. Uh, I'm not really a driver or a road tripper. I'd, I'm, I'd rather get there sooner than later. So you want to talk about like the promise, the pit, my pit is uh, <laughs> sitting in a car for 11 hours. <laughs> you want to talk about getting processed by God. The patience was like, you know, that's the fruit of the spirit. I've listened to that message like three times already. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we got out there. We had a huge group of friends uh, staying in Airbnb. And the day after the wedding, one of our friends popped a tire. And they had to drive home to New Jersey that day, but had no tire. They had a donut. And I remember sitting there and it's, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. No one's up yet. And they're just on the phone calling every tire shop in the world that they could possibly find in Indianapolis. Um, nowhere was open on Sunday, like not one tire shop. Most of the places out there were closed, which was pretty cool. Like, you know, they're honoring the Lord's day, but on the flip side, you know, you're beat for a tire. And I'm laying in bed. I hear them making phone calls out in the dining room. And I remember I just heard the voice of God. He just said, go help them. A practical solution to a real problem. And I got up, I hopped on the phone, started making phone calls, kept on calling, found a place that was closed. You know, they obviously didn't answer because they were closed. And I heard the Lord say, when they open back up for like, don't make any more calls. When they open back up, call the spot. So I looked at my friend. I said, I'm not making any more calls. I'm calling this place. This person doesn't know Jesus. So they just kind of looked at me and said, huh, <laughs> what do you mean? Like God said, call this place. And I'm telling you, this is going to be your spot. So we packed up when they opened up, I gave them a call and they said, we'll take you in right now and got him a new tire on his car. It wasn't anything super spiritual. It wasn't anything super crazy. It was a tire on a car. And can I tell you, Fusion Church, God wants to use you in the super practical things 
because the solution is sitting inside of you and his name is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. And when we say, God, you can take the first place inside of problems and God, I know you have the solution. Would you share the solution with me so that I can share the solution with them? It's super to the point. So our application question for this verse is, what can you give God for a practical solution? Whether it enters into your friends, your workplace, whatever situation your hands are to, what practical problem can you give to God for a practical solution? Our next uh, place we're going to look at is verses six through nine. Verse, I'm going to read again. Uh, verse six says, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. This is really awesome to me because Joseph right here, let's see if I can rearrange this. Joseph right here is living inside of the promise that was spoken over his life. And uh, in yesterday's soap, <laughs> you'll uh, remember, actually, I want to read it yesterday so verse 41 pharaoh said to joseph i hereby put you in charge of the whole land of egypt for a guy who just came out of prison that is an incredible transition from god that is an incredible fulfillment of the promise of god over his life and i want to kind of make note because it was the interpretive dream gift that god put inside of joseph as to how the door was open for him to be in charge of the land of egypt and your gift will put you before kings, just like the book of Proverbs says. It'll put you before a king, but it's up to you, your character to keep you before the king. There's uh, an old phrase, your gift opens doors, but your character keeps you in the room. We all have gifts from God, every single one of us. And it, they all may be different. Well, I shouldn't say maybe. They all will be different. That's how the body stays in function. That's how the body works together to accomplish the mission of Jesus inside of the church. All of our gifts will put us inside of rooms with people, for people, but our character keeps us inside of that room so that we can serve God inside of it. Joseph's character was built inside of the pit. He could have been put into the palace earlier, but the pit is what uh, prepared him for the palace. So when he's sitting here, he's not just kind of like angry. He's not, I, I should, yeah, I don't think he's really that angry. I know it's saying he's spoken harshly. But I want us to kind of note something. Joseph was actually testing them. He was, and the reason he was testing them was because he himself was tested. When you have been tested by God, you know how to test situations. You know how to test people. You know how to test different things so you can know, okay, God, are you in this? Or God, are you just using this? God, what is it that's going on? I'm, I'm pretty positive Joseph knew <laughs> that his brothers were not there to see how they could attack the land of Egypt. What he was looking to do was to test his brothers to see what their motive was. And that's because Joseph's motive itself was pure. Joseph was trying to be reunited with his younger brother. He wasn't trying to be vindictive against his family. Joseph was trying to reveal the motive of their hearts so that he could actually push into the ministry of reconciliation. And he was about to face a test in facing his brothers. 
And I want us to kind of like uh, grab onto this mindset I was sharing earlier. You know, we have this like grass is always greener. I get to the promise. Everything will be better when blank happens. You know, when I get this job, everything will be better. When this person gives their life to Christ, everything will be better. You know, when my friends uh, uh, are, you know, when, I, when my friend group is all following Jesus, things will be better. You know, I, I'll tell you what it just brings on a new list of problems. You know, it's not a bad problem. They're great problems. This is why we need this solution to be revealed in us, but it's going to bring on new challenges with it. And Joseph right here was facing a new challenge that obviously he never faced before. Everything was building up to him being reunited with his brothers in this moment. And here's the thing about success. God will use the test of success to reveal the motives of your heart. If you remember in the gospels, uh, I, it's such a cool area. I can't remember like the chapter and verse off the top of my head, but the disciples were casting demons out of people. They were healing people in Jesus name. They were like, they were advancing the ministry of the kingdom of God. People were being reconciled to Christ. And when they got back to Jesus, uh, he was like, all right, guys, tell me what happened. And they're kind of like, oh man, the demons quake at our, when we speak, you know, people are getting healed. It's awesome. Like they're celebrating and he looks them in the eyes. And I, I love what he says. He's like, don't rejoice that demons quake at you rejoice that your name is written in the lamb's book of life. Like get back to the basics. Like all that stuff is great. People are getting free, but focus on this thing. Your name is written in the lamb's book of life. And then right afterwards, James and John look at him and say, okay, so which one of us are going to be seated at your right and left-hand side when we get to heaven? <laughs> like right afterwards, they get into, all right, so where are we going to be when we get there? Uh, success will reveal things in your hearts that disappointment won't. If they had not had, let's say, quote unquote, success in the ministry that they were doing, it would have never been revealed that they were looking for position when heaven came. And this right here, Joseph experienced success, quote unquote, inside of the ministry he was doing for God, inside of the work that he was doing in Egypt. Because of that success, it was revealing the motives of his own heart. It was revealing, Joseph, what are you in this for? Joseph, why are you doing this? And what are you going to do when the people who put you in the pit are now here in the palace with you? So to bring this into practicality for us we will all face tests. Not all of our tests come in, uh, let's say, negative forms. Some of our tests will actually come in how we handle promotion. If you got a promotion at your job today, how would you handle that promotion inside of your heart? Would it be, I worked hard for this, I deserve this, I, 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 or is it, Lord, I can't wait to see your glory be revealed inside of this promotion. God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in this next stage of life. Lord, this person I've been praying for, my, my husband, my wife, my fr uh, friend, my family member finally gave their life to Christ. Lord, what can I do now that we're stepping into this, let's say, palace season of their life? And what test is in front of me? Because each test has three different categories to it. We've got the, the stumbling stone, the stepping stone, or the tombstone. Those are like the three different types of tests or what uh, can come from a test. The test can be a stumbling stone where we mess up a little bit. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many tests I've stepped over and fell and scraped my knee. <laughs> and I've still got the scars to prove it. <laughs> uh, and then there's different tests that where really the meaning of the test is a stepping stone where it takes us into the next stage of life and takes us into the next thing that God wants to test us in, or it could be a tombstone. 
And the tombstone is where I want to say devastating mistakes are made. You know, the tombstone situations are few and far between, but those are devastating situations or results from a test that we face and go through with God. Uh, but the desire of God is always that a test will be a stepping stone, not a stumbling stone and not a tombstone to send us into the next stage that he wants us in and us be made into his image so that his glory can be seen here on the earth and so that we can live the vision of fusion, right? Reaching those who are far from Jesus, equipping Christ followers and going into all the nations and beyond. So my application question for these verses is right here. How's the test going? Like super basic for each of us today. How is the test going for you? If you in your life in the like where you're at right now, you know, that's kind of why I broke down Joseph's life the way it was the promise, the pit and the palace. If you look at your life right now and what you have going on, are you able to identify the test that God has you in? Uh, if if you feel as though you want to know, I don't feel like God is testing me right now. All good. Like it doesn't mean, uh, you know, I think one thing is, <clears throat> you know, you may not be going through a test this second, but I can assure you, church, a test is coming. There, like, there's no way that a test won't come because God has to reveal to you what's in you. And when that test comes, we don't have to sit here and say, oh, man, you know, I failed a test. You know, God doesn't beat us up. He actually gives us tests to help us pass them, right? He's not a bad father. He's a good father. He gives us tests so that we will pass and he gives us grace to help us go through it. But I want you to think about this. What test am I going through? Because if you can identify that test, you can partner with God in going through that test. And if you're not in the middle of a test currently, I want you to ask yourself a different question. Ask yourself the question of what is God doing in my life right now? And I mean inside of your heart, in the process of making you into the image of Jesus. Because if you can identify, you want to know what? The Lord is working on patience with me. Church, I'll tell you something. I've been following Jesus for seven years now. Uh, all seven of those years, the Lord has been working on me in patience. Patience is that <clears throat> that one thing for me. Most times when I ask for something, it's because I wanted it five minutes ago. And I normally try to keep a smile on my face because it reminds me life isn't that serious and I need to slow down. <laughs> and my beautiful wife, God bless her, keeps me on track in my patience. <laughs> so be able to identify what God is doing in your life so that you can partner with him. Because I may not be the most patient person in the world, but I'm more patient than I was yesterday. And that's because you can identify, God, this is what you're doing in my heart. This is the fruit of the spirit that's growing in my life, right? Our summer road trip, the fruit of the spirit that's growing inside of me to build me into the image of Jesus. So how's your test going? And on the other side, if you're not in the middle of a test, what is God doing in your heart? Because at some point, a test is coming to reveal what that thing is. And I have one more to close on. It's going to be in verse 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey as this was done for them. I was baffled by this passage or this verse for years. Because I could not understand or get why Joseph, the man who was betrayed, would be the one to put the silver back in their bag. Of anyone, Joseph had every right to be angry, right? Like, like he, he had the right to be upset with what happened to him. 
yet he put the silver and the grain inside of their bags to be transferred back to where they were coming from. Uh, I have one simple word to explain what Joseph was doing there, and it's grace. Joseph was showing them grace. Uh, he was giving them something that they did not deserve, and he was giving them something that they did not give him. Grace, by definition, is the unmerited favor of God. It's like the divine intervention of Jesus, and the other side of grace is the empowerment of God to make us more into the image of Christ. Grace is the thing that sets us aside. Grace is the thing that empowers us to live for Christ. Grace is the thing that really should be getting us out of bed in the morning because we need the grace of God to even breathe here on this earth. And right here, Joseph was living under grace. And what I like is that they were not giving it to him. Under no circumstance or point did his brothers show him grace. He was a young kid who came and shared a dream. And some believe that he shared that dream out of season. Like he shouldn't have told them what God was showing them. Yet he still showed them grace after everything they put him through. And uh, I was listening to some of our uh, messages here at Fusion because, you know, when I was coming on staff here, I wanted to have the, um, I wanted to have the heartbeat and the pulse of Fusion here because y'all are amazing. Y'all, like, I'll tell you what, I've never been at a church that bleeds Jesus and bleeds the vision so much. Like, it is so powerful and an honor to be a part of you guys. And I wanted to make sure, like, okay, let me get the heartbeat of what God is doing here at Fusion. I'm going back and listening to all these messages the past year or two. And I'll tell you what, boy, can Pastor Brennan preach? Come on now. <laughs> and I found this one message, and it was about our grace tank. How's your grace tank doing? Is your grace tank empty? And some of you might remember that message. And church, I would encourage you, go back and listen to it. And go back and get that word inside of you about your grace tank. How's the grace tank doing? Because... I'm, I'm going to be the first one to say it. I am so far from perfect. Uh, if I were in Joseph's shoes, I wouldn't be putting silver in their bag. Straight up. No, they're going to jail. <laughs> like I'm not locking them up to see the younger brother. I'm locking them up to be executed. What do you mean? You put me here. <laughs> like uh, my first thought is justice. It's not grace. But the reality is God's first thought is grace. Because what does this say? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I, I, I'll tell you, it was convicting to me when I read this verse because I thought was, huh, how's my grace tank doing? How's my grace tank looking? Is that coworker really on my last nerve right now? And what am I going to do about it? Is my boss pushing me over the edge? Is my neighbor who I don't know why will not mow their lawn? Don't they know it's the middle of July and it keeps on raining? Go mow your lawn. Like, how's your grace tank looking where we say, I have to give them the unmerited favor of God. I have to give them the grace of Jesus. So the application question for this one is, how's your grace tank looking? Only you would know with God. Only God can reveal that to you. You know, I can't really look at you and say, oh, this is how much grace God has in your life. The Lord knows it. And here's the thing about grace. If you want more of it, what I love about God is all he says is ask and receive. You ask for grace, he'll give you grace. Because if we want to be able to live out and uh, identify how the test is going to live out and get practical solutions to practical problems from God, we are going to need the grace of God to empower us to do it. Amen, church. So our last application question for the day is what is the Holy Spirit saying to you 
What is he revealing to you inside of the season of life that you have going on? And what is he revealing to you through the passage of scripture that we just unpacked together? And church, it has been awesome bringing you the word of God this morning. Awesome doing today's soap devotional. I have the divine privilege of sharing the word with you while Pastor John is off honeymooning on vacation. Pastor John is a dad to me. I love that man. <laughs> he, uh, him and I have been linked up for a long time now, pretty much. I feel like I was born into the faith and Pastor John was there with me. <laughs> uh, so it's an incredible honor to be able to even speak in the same slot that that man speaks. So you'll have me for a few more weeks and then you'll have Pastor John back. So don't be too upset. What's this youth, young adults, probably getting, you know, go speak to the youth. Don't worry about soap. <laughs> but you'll have me for a few weeks. Pastor John will be back. And uh, I'm so honored and excited to be bringing you the word. So let's pray and close this thing out. Yeah. Father, I thank you for each and every person on this Zoom call this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do things inside of our heart that only you can do. I pray that you would make the word of God alive to us, that, Lord, you would make us into uh, much how you did with Joseph, that, God, you would speak promise over our life, that, God, you would process us through those pit seasons of our lives, and, God, help us to not get boastful inside of the palace season of our life, so that when we get there and we need to show people grace, we remember the pit that we came from. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray you would speak to each and every person listening to this message, and you would reveal the uh, character and image of Jesus to them. And Lord, I pray you would give us grace in this season, show us our grace tank, how much we got going on inside of it, and give us grace in this season to follow you, live for you, and to reach those that are far from Christ, to equip Christ's followers, and to go into all the nations. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day.